Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Jongens, goedenavond. Welcome. Dit is the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Ik ben Mark Daly, and dit is mijn vriend en co-host Mark Hamilton. Hoe gaat het met jullie? Ja, Max Verstappen, winnaar by the Dutch Grand Prix vandaag. And Mark, I won't torture you any longer, but yes, we have a race to talk about. And, well, it might not have been the most action-packed Grand Prix on the track, but I felt like it was a little bit getting back to normal after the drama that we had with the non-event in Belgium, after the drama we had in Hungary, after the controversy <laughs> that we had in <laughs> in Britain. It's been a busy kind of six weeks or so. But first of all, before we get into it, how the heck are you? We're halfway through the the, the Labor Day weekend here in North America. And that sadly means, well, I mean, for, for us who have kids, it's great because the kids go back to school on Tuesday. But sadly, it's kind of the unofficial end to summer, even though the first day of fall is still three weeks away. But how's your weekend been, sir? Uh, It's been good. And I actually totally agree with your sentiment about the outcome of this race. To your point, maybe it wasn't super action-packed, but by the time it was over, I was kind of checking my limbs to make sure I was intact. Because to your point, (laughs) after, after Belgium and Hungary and Silverstone, there was so much anxiety and frustration and anger bottled up after those events that it was good to get through a traditional, maybe processional Grand Prix. And and I'm happy for that. And we'll get into all of the details. And we have tons of feedback from all of the folks within the Scuderia F1 community, but I'm doing great. Obviously, I I don't have older kids. So my son's in daycare as normal on Tuesday. But you're right, even though it's not like we've just come back from a two-month vacation, there is there is this sense of sadness when Labor Day weekend hits because obviously the summer's over. And for us in Canada, Mm Typically, Thanksgiving rapidly approaches. I think we're now four or five weeks away from Thanksgiving and then Halloween, and then it's the dark, dark, long, wet, dreary winter that we've both become quite (laughs) accustomed to. Don't remind me. Yeah, I know that's the one good thing about uh, you know Canadian Thanksgiving is it gives us one extra holiday between the end of summer and the Christmas season, Great which call. you know sadly is going to come sooner rather than. I mean, it's gonna. I, I mean, I love the holiday season, but it just it the you know these things seem to get faster and faster every year. So I just I, I just want to kind of keep the pace down a little bit. But yeah, you know, going back to the race itself, after all the drama and controversy that we've seen going back to the beginning, or sorry, the middle of uh, July at Silverstone, it was nice just to have sort of a a normal weekend. But it was strange, even though the race was a little bit processional, obviously Mercedes could not match the the pace of uh, Max Verstappen, particularly, and Red Bull. It still had an interesting kind of flow to the race because it. I, I found that the race itself around the the re, redesigned and the reformatted uh, Zonfort uh, circuit, I, I felt that it, it still felt like there was a lot going on. And I really, I, I have a bit of regret now because I really wish we kind of uh, discussed this a little bit more with Bryson on Thursday night, but perhaps just maybe not having the benefit of seeing uh, a Dutch Grand Prix at Sanford since 1985. And obviously this was the first running on the new layout. I really kind of wish we'd sort of delved into that with Bryson a little bit uh, more to see what we could have expected perhaps from the aerodynamics and you know a, a point of things, because I'm hoping next year will be more exciting with the new cars, because I think that, you know, great track but with the current cars maybe they just didn't make the most of what this track could have to offer yeah Your thoughts? I absolutely completely agree my opinions continuing to evolve I, I know and I'll read through in a couple of minutes some of the comments from uh from the community just with respect to their initial impressions after the race my, my opinions evolving it's not dramatically different I think than I was expecting I was very confident that we would have seen some contact on the front last maybe not necessarily between Lewis and and Max Verstappen but I was very confident that we'd see some contact among some of the back yeah. markers that the field would get backed up I had assumed and I would have put money on it that we would have seen at least 
one safety car that would have backed up the field and kept the kept the race a little bit tighter uh, as we got into lap 30, lap 40, lap 50. We didn't see that. And I think you'll make a great point too that the cars that we saw on the track this year will be gone next year. The, the racing, the, the dynamics associated with the cars that we'll see next year should be very, very different. And one of the other stories that I saw as well is that the FIA is going to start evaluating a lot of the telemetry and data from the cars because they're hoping still to add an additional DRS zone to this track. But as a track... From a from a helicopter view, it looks fantastic. I, I love I love how tight it is. I like how twisty it is. I, I love how how unique some of the elements of the track are. And we'll obviously speak to the bank corners. But to me, I thought this was yep. pretty special. And I think from an atmospheric perspective as well, I love the fact that the grandstands are almost positioned immediately on top of the track. It gives you very much that stadium feel that we get a little bit out of Mexico City every year that we have the opportunity to go there. But from an atmosphere perspective, I'm sure you can speak to this. It was absolutely exceptional. The track's still growing on me. I'm not ready to write it off. And I think you make a great point as well that next year's cars may add a very different very different dynamic. But ultimately, we saw Max win, which I'm sure you're excited to talk about. He's regained the championship. And other than that, I don't really, as a, kind of as an, initial, as an initial take, I don't have a lot to add. I do, if you don't mind, I wouldn't mind quickly, just to kind of set the stakes a little bit and set the context mm-hmm. for, for the show. Just read out some of the comments because... In the spirit of being ultra lazy and not wanting to prepare for this podcast, I asked <laughs> I asked the listeners to prepare for us. So here's some of their initial feedback. So I had posted this. Zandvoort was blank. Texas Tech Sean, faster Monaco. Friend of the show, Matt Sakaris, says, processional, it's Monaco with a cheaper backdrop, no straights, there won't be much passing on track. That said, the scene was unbelievable and will be so as long as Max is in the cockpit. And I did like the rolling bank corner enhanced the aesthetic. Um, Marcos effect, boring, the race was decided on Saturday, just like Belgium, only a huge bottle would make a Red Bull loose. The RB16B was planted to the track. Carlos, decent backdrop for a, a backdrop for a nap on a busy day. James Young, one of a, a local boy here in North Vancouver, as expected. Great race, bit of a procession, but still lived up to the expectation. Um, Evan, a race that I'm interested to see how much of a difference the 2022 cars will make, just as you said a moment ago. Michelle, yep. better with Nico, great insight and button pusher, and I love it. Um, Michael Buverhoff, orange, uh, deplorable me, meh. Jill Zanvort was more like Planet Zvort. <laughs> Jack, a poor <laughs> showing for Mercedes. Julie, epic. That too. Um, taking a look here, we have amazing Julie, a dreamed result, uh, predictable redemption day, unwatchable due to the frenetic camera coverage, which I'll get to in a couple of minutes, anticlimactic. And then finally from Josh, a race in the Netherlands. So that's kind of sets the table just with respect to the initial impressions that our listeners had. Yeah, I, I think they pretty well covered all of it, and you know it was kind of funny because, you know, this uh, I think maybe uh, everybody might appreciate this as I say this because you know Americans I think uh, usually get um, I, I don't want to say accused, but uh, I, I think it's well known that uh, that the Americans are very proud of uh, their, their country and very proud to show off the red, white, and blue. But what I saw in Holland today comes awfully close to national pride that we see south of the border in the USA. I mean the orange from side to side. You had uh, King Willem Alexander and his uh, Queen Maxima. They were there. You had DJ Tiesto waving the uh, the, the checkered flag. You had uh, Michelle Davina, well-known YouTuber and uh, artist, uh, singing the Dutch national anthem live. I mean, the, the fireworks when Max crossed the, 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 the finish line and just the orange smoke. I mean, it was a party atmosphere. And as far as national pride, it was all to see at Zanforza on Sunday. Monday. And a couple of things that I, I found a little bit kind of, uh, you know, kind of a little bit funny uh, or amusing, I should say, from the race commentary was Crofty talking about like 25% of people arrived on bus or sorry, on bike and 2% of the, the fans showed up in cars. I'm like, that's just the Netherlands. I mean, everything is close together. It's ideal for public transport. It's ideal for biking. It's small, compact. The train is right there. It's like, what, half an hour from from Amsterdam. I mean, it's it's easy access, even though it's not right downtown. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, cycling is a Dutch uh, way of life. It's not just a, a phenomenon. It's a, it's a mode of transport. And it was uh, really cool to see. But let's talk about that opening lap. And I have to admit, 
I was, I wouldn't say worried. I was, I, I was keenly watching Mr. Hamilton, Mr. Verstappen on row one, Max obviously on the outside, having pole position, ideal where you want to be because being where it is, you know, it is on the, uh, on the sea. I don't I think it's necessarily as dusty as it is, uh, say, in the Middle East, for example. But Max was on the clean side of the track, angling his car into the Tarzan Bacht, uh, the Tarzan corner turn one. And it was obvious that, uh, that, that he was planting his car to take that line and just needed to get a clean start. And I thought at the when the lights turned green, I thought that Max and Lewis pretty much nailed the start. It wasn't like one was pulling away from the other. Lewis was closing the gaps to, to Max. Bottas in P3, I thought, uh, did not start very well. He was uh, slow off the mark. But just once those three guys kind of planted their cars and kind of established those first couple of positions going into turn one, it was pretty, I would say, hairy going down through the race order. And like you said in the opening there, Mark, I am just astounded that there was not more than a little bit of some minor bumps going on. We saw Fernando Alonso bumping with his teammates. We saw Antonio Giovinazzi putting one tire into the grass at the same place where we saw Nick Latifi go off in qualifying on Saturday. But miraculously, we did not see anybody crash, not just in turn one, but all the way around that first lap or two. And we didn't see a a, a car or safety car, I should say, the entire race, which would have you know, it, it would have made things interesting, but as far if you're Jan Lammers and the organizers of the Dutch Grand Prix, if you're a fan of Max Verstappen, and obviously if you're Max Verstappen Red Bull yourself, it was a it was a, a perf not just a perfect day, but a perfect uh, weekend. And of course, uh, that is reflected in the championship. But before we talk about some of the the other news, we're already ten minutes into this thing. Let's just go down the final race classification for the ten point pains at positions. Max Verstappen winning the race with a time of one minute 30.05 seconds he takes 25 points lewis hamilton second valtteri bottas was third to round out the podium pierre gasly i thought pierre had a solid solid weekend even though obviously he was uh, finished a lap down but uh, very impressive uh, from pierre gasly nonetheless charles leclerc in fifth fernando alonso sixth carlos seventh seventh sergio perez driver of the day starting from the pit lane and bringing it home in P8, I think that maybe gets a little bit uh, overlooked. I mean, that obviously has championship implications. We'll talk about that uh, shortly. Esteban Ocon, P9, another solid uh, outing, I'd say, for Alpine. They, they seem to be coming into a, a bit of form. And then Lando Norris rounding out the, the top 10. And then his uh, teammate, uh, Danny Ricardo just uh, missing out in P11. But it's funny where McLaren's been pretty strong. McLaren struggled all weekend uh, long anyways let's look now at the uh, interesting uh, the, the discussion points of the day and damn it we're going to be talking about half, half points <laughs> the rest of the way here anyways max on top now 224 and a half just only three points ahead of lewis hamilton is 221 and a half valtteri bottas 123 which is interesting because lando norris i think has legit shot for third in the championship lando despite uh, finishing p10 only a single point today 114 so that is going to be a very interesting as much as we're going to be watching Lewis and Max obviously down the stretch here watch for uh, Bottas and Norris whatever happens to Valtteri Bottas here on out and then you have uh, Sergio Perez rounding out 108 so I mean any one of those three drivers I mean we should say I mean even though uh, Bottas is 123 Lando 114 and um, Sergio 108 so I mean I I think that P3 and the drivers is completely wide open so watch all three of those guys going down the stretch Now, interesting where it comes now in the constructors. It's not really, despite obviously Sergio having to have that engine change and starting from the pit lane, it's is not entirely horrible in the constructors if you're Red Bull. Mercedes 344.5, Red Bull 332.5, so still within reach, but they're going to have to try and stop hemorrhaging any points uh, along the way. Ferrari 181.5, McLaren, uh, Mercedes 170, and then Alpine with 90. So, of course, as much as we're going to be watching Mercedes and Red Bull down the stretch, we're going to be watching McLaren and Ferrari. Mark, your thoughts on how the, the championship is... I don't want to say flip-flopped, but has changed a little bit. Are we seeing a little bit of equalization here just based on the fact that we had a very 
undramatic race compared to the last three. I definitely want to get into that, but I, I think I need to give Max his flowers real quick. And it's funny because earlier in this year, we were criticized for being too aggressively pro Red Bull and pro Max. And then that swung. You guys are too aggressively pro Lewis and pro Mercedes. I like to think we bring a little bit of balance. Obviously, we're not credentialed yeah. media. We don't work for a team. We don't work for Formula One. And we have opinions, and I think sometimes we get caught up in the emotions and the narrative of the season. But I think in this case, I, I absolutely have to give. Well, we should start screenshotting our WhatsApp <laughs> conversations during races. So. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, go I, on. I just want to give Max's flowers. This weekend was an impeccable performance for him. Obviously, he has a little bit more familiarity with this track because he's done some photo days there in a Formula One car. But ultimately, I, I don't think that really means anything. But he was perfect. He was fantastic in free practice. And of course, there was some disruption of free practice. So a lot of the drivers didn't get as much time to gain some familiarity with the track as you may normally have. Obviously, that incident with the Aston Martin and the fire was problematic, especially for Lewis, but he was fantastic. And I think the only instance all weekend where he stepped wrong was failing to activate DRS during qualifying. And I think had he done that, the gap between him and Hamilton would have been significantly greater. And and I think that when you look at the qualifying classifications, it's a little bit charitable to Hamilton. And I think even for me, it gave me a little bit more optimism than was probably deserved going into the Grand Prix on Sunday, thinking it was going to be a little bit tighter. But Max was fantastic. He embraced the weekend. It was probably... And this is not something that I've ever seen as a challenge or an opportunity for Max because I don't think he's somebody that struggles under pressure, but this was probably one of the most pressure-filled weekends he's ever experienced in Formula One. It's his mm -hmm. first time racing at home. It's his first time on this track. There's 100,000 fans there bathed in orange and we saw the flares we saw the jerseys we saw the flags so i think that alone was probably fairly significant from a pressure perspective but the other piece too was for the first time in his career he's in the championship in a meaningful way and a win gave him the opportunity to leapfrog seven times world champion and defending champion lewis hamilton and he didn't step a foot wrong and to your earlier point his start was perfect in fact, I thought Lewis's start was so good that he may have jumped the light a little bit, but it only took a couple of corners before you knew Max was gone. And I just, I could sense the dread and panic that probably overcame Toto and Mercedes because we've seen that in other races this year where Max has that great start, he's on pole, or he sneaks past a Mercedes car and it's over because you knew unless they had a really great strategy, unless there was a safety car, unless there was an incident, it was going to be incredibly difficult to capture or catch up to Max because he doesn't make mistakes. And the, the car was dialed in. It looked fantastic. The package was great. I think it also reflects very badly on driver of the day, Sergio Perez. And I don't think that's a warranted title, but I just wanted to kind of back up and make sure that Max got credit for a fantastic weekend. And to your point, we've now completely closed up at least one of the championships. So Max has now scored two poles in a row. He scored two wins in a row. And again, at the end of the day, last weekend was a bomb, an absolute abomination, but ultimately it counted yep. in the standings and he secured some points. So he was able to stack some points in this ongoing championship. But I think ultimately, and we've talked about this before, for, the constructors is going to be decided not by Max and Lewis because they seem to be in a world of their own in terms of this championship. They are in a world of their own because if you look at the way that Sergio is performing and you look at the way that Valtteri is performing in the exact same or, the, or nearly the identical machinery, they're at a totally different level. Bottas just doesn't have the pace, and Perez is just making mistake after mistake after mistake. And we saw it this weekend. He couldn't get out of Q1. Early in the race, he locks up, gets a flat spot, has to go to the pit. You know what? I'm not, I'm not going to give him driver of the day. He overtook a bunch of back markers and arguably the fastest car in the championship. What the hell was he doing at the back of the pack to begin with? Why the hell did he have to change tires? Those are unforced errors. So ultimately, you're right. The championship is tightening up. I think I'm still confident in my prediction earlier this year that we're probably going to see a split. It could be Max. It could be Lewis at this point. You know, with maybe eight Grand Prix left, we don't really know. Every race is worth that much more, is that much more valuable. Every point counts so much more, which is obviously why Mercedes deployed their strategy to make sure that Lewis got that point for fastest lap. But I'm still of the mind that we might see the champion split this year. What about you? 
Well, I'm going to just uh, weigh in on that in a moment because it's now it's time to box, box, box <laughs> as we take our first break and we'll come Three back on the flip side in just a moment. Three laps too late. That's right. Anyways, we'll be back in just a moment, so don't go away. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And what was the question you were talking about before? What, where did, what did you want to be to uh, weigh Flat it on? Flat tires? I don't know. The Flat championship. Tires. Come on. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I'm just being silly, of course. You know, I <laughs> thought it was interesting, too, because when I was seeing, uh, sorry, uh, Sergio starting from the pit lane, I thought, okay, well, maybe this is the weekend that we really start to see maybe a bit of clarity in where the constructors championship is going to go because i think that uh, looking at the drivers championship i think that it's we're, we're getting a real good idea that this is still going to go down to the wire between lewis and and max and of course the last uh, couple of uh, weekends have been obviously very very um you know topsy turvy with all the drama that we've seen for different reasons uh, at, at the last three tracks but you know sergio i think is now He's really pushing it. He knows what's a, a, at stake. And like you say, these unforced errors. And I was thinking as you were talking about it, that if you're a Mercedes and, you know, you have that, um, you know, this this dilemma of what you're doing with the Valtteri Bottas, what you're doing with George Russell, do you really want to pull the trigger now? Because I, I think that we, we see the slight lead in the in the constructors championship. And I think that if you're Mercedes, I think you got, or I, I think if you're being completely honest and neutral, just looking at what things are, where, where it's going and what uh, uh, Bottas has done this year compared to Perez, I think that just on the base or the, the basis of what uh, Bottas's record is just in general with Mercedes, he's going to be the more reliable, stable, dependable guy you know Perez he's kind of shown it off and on this year like he started a little bit kind of rough which you might have expected then he kind of settled down and now we see a little bit of um what do you want to say inconsistency again over the past couple of races of course not all entirely of uh you know his own doing and whatnot but I think that uh, if your Mercedes may be where there's a lot of question marks around the driver's championship, maybe you're starting to think, okay, I, I, I think we're seeing now a little bit of light in the constructors that if we do things right, that this might be a little bit more solid, a, a more, I wouldn't say more of an expectation to win this one, but definitely the one, the, the one battle that we have the advantage. Yeah, do I, I do agree. And I'll just kind of backtrack on a point you just made there. As fun and sexy a topic as it is to talk about in-season driver changes, I don't believe Toto's going to make that move. I think that's hugely, hugely risky. I think logistically they could. I agree. I think they could bring George in. They could adapt the car to him. I think George could be successful. But if you look at Valtteri's last couple of races, so this, let me just run down Valtteri's uh, season so far. Third retirement, third, third retirement, 12th, fourth, third, second, third retirement, 12th, third. You take out those retirements and those two 12th place finishes. That's not a terrible campaign. And again, Looking at the classifications, a little bit misleading because he is nowhere. He is nowhere near George. And I think he's benefited from the fact that Sergio struggled in a number of his races. Mm -hmm. But 
I don't know that you're going to get a lot more from George and maybe introducing George to the equation introduces some friction with Hamilton, which becomes a distraction in itself. I don't think they're going to make that change. You look at Sergio over the past four races, he scored four points. And to your point, obviously he's been collected and there's been some contact and that's not necessarily all his fault. But I think some of the things that we've seen in terms of qualifying performance, the fact that he went off during the formation lap in Belgium and caused the damage to the car, the fact that he had that brutal lockup today on the hards when they were clearly going with a long strategy, I think is is problematic. So I don't think they're going to change anything, but I think it's really going to be difficult from a psychological perspective if Red Bull was to win a driver's title, but not the constructor's title. And it ultimately came down to the difference between Sergio and Bottas, who himself probably won't be in the Mercedes ride next year. You know, it really is interesting too. And I, I think that you made a great point uh, just, uh, you know, in the first segment there, just talking about the performance that we saw from uh, Max Verstappen is, you know, just t- talking about where these guys might be at uh, mentally and where everybody's, you know, th- how things are shaping up. I think that this was a big statement race for Max uh, Verstappen. And, you know, we've seen Lewis deliver a- at-, at Silverstone year after year after year after year. And it's a big party there. And this uh, was very much the-, the the Dutch version of it. Of course, <laughs> it was only the first one. But, you know, Max himself said it- it's not easy to live up to-, to those expectations. I mean, everything that they had planned for this race was for a Max Verstappen slash Red Bull party. Absolutely. And I mean, for the race organizers, it was an absolutely perfect outcome. It was a perfect weekend. And, you know, for, from that point, and it, it really, I think, reinvigorates this uh, th- this battle. And I think that if you're Lewis Hamilton, I, th- I think obviously Lewis has respect for Max. He knows how good of, um, you know, a driver Max is. But I think that if you're, you're Lewis, if there were any maybe kind of like lingering questions as to how good is this guy and how good is he able to perform under pressure, you're maybe going away from this race thinking, huh, Max just did in Holland what I've been doing at Silverstone for all oh, these years at point. the British Grand Prix in front of my own fans, you know, and 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 he delivered all weekend long like I've been able to do. So, you know, obviously Lewis is going to he, he realizes obviously he's got a big fight on his hand as it is, but I think this really kind of takes it to the to the next level and then if you're Max uh, himself kind of thinking at at 23 years old, wow, did I did did this just happen? Did I just do that? And I, I think I think it was the perfect race just for the championship, even though the race itself was not that exciting. It wasn't a classic. But I think, like I was saying, that just after all the other stuff that we've had over the past month, I think it wipes the slate clean. We're going next weekend to Monza, which is a classic track. We go into the tail end of the season now, basically neck and neck in the championship. And I, I think there's so many different threads to pull on, not just to between uh, you know stories as it comes to Lewis and Max, but also for the constructors and all these different things uh, going on. And it's just, um, I, I'm, I, I really found found myself excited looking ahead. As and even though, I mean. You know, being a Dutchman myself, coming from a Dutch family, it was it was cool to see like the whole like the whole experience. And, you know, I had friends that were there this weekend and and people say, oh, you got to come next year and and all that sort of cool stuff. But, um, yeah, it, it was I, I think it sets up the, the, the you know, at least next weekend really I nicely. I think it's deceiving because you and I and obviously a lot of our, our listeners in the audience at home have been watching Formula One for a few years or at least they've been watching for a few years and they've always known Max to be part of this series. You mentioned something a couple of seconds ago that really resonated with me. Max is 23 years old. This is his one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ninth championship season. He has it. Here's a couple of interesting data points. He has now scored the most race victories, most Grand Prix victories in the history of Formula One without a championship, which could possibly change this year. Today was his mm-hmm. 100th point finish not his 100th grand prix his 100 wow. point finish this kid is phenomenal wow. and when you look at the data list of drivers in the sport there's maybe four drivers that are younger than him obviously yuki mazapan mm-hmm. stroll who himself is deceivingly young because he entered the sport so early as well but he joined in 2017 yep. that was that was max's fourth season this kid is this kid is young and if he <laughs> runs deep into his career like we see a lot of these talented drivers do and when we talk about nutrition and sports psychology and medicine and and exercise and all those different pieces no no reason 
reason to think that he might not drive until he's 40. I don't think he's got any side gigs or hobbies that are going to distract from 41. This could kid could be around for another 20 years. Incredible. But yeah, just two quick data points. Mm-hmm. One, his 100th point finish, which is incredible. And now the most race victories, the most Grand Prix victories without a championship. And I think it's just inevitable, if not this year, then presumably next year or the year after, because he will score a championship and probably many of them. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. One other thing that they brought up during the race is that uh, during the Grand Prix on Sunday, it was also the the race where Max has already led 1,000 laps in his Formula One career. I mean, it's just absolutely mind-blowing. I mean, when you add that to all those stats that you just reeled off for a guy that's 23 years old... I mean, as much as I respect what, what Lewis has done and that that story is by no means over. I mean, what with uh, Lewis just inking a new deal to stay at Mercedes, uh, you know, I mean, Lewis obviously has a lot to contribute. He's he's not doing it just for fun. He's not doing it. Well, I mean, he's, I'm hopefully he's doing it for fun, but I mean, <laughs> he's, he's not doing it for million money dollars a year or. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I should say he, he's not doing it uh, because, uh, you know, that there's nothing left to, to do. 100%. He's there. He wants he to score a championship. He, he wants to compete. You're absolutely yeah. right. But the thing is, if if and when Max wins that first championship, is this going to be something we're going to be looking at in 15, 20 years? You know, was this the big, you know, the, the guy that really started hot when he was young and then kind of like flamed out? Or is he potentially one of those guys that could, um, you know, maybe equal and better Lewis Hamilton? Of course, you know, this is a discussion we're going to have to park and talk about, uh, you know, when, you know, Max's uh, career and Lewis's career comes to an end in Formula One. But I mean, how many years have we been saying now that that Max has all the pedigree, all the skills and and all the the, the markers of a potential Formula One champion? I think uh, as much as I said if if Lewis had any lingering questions about that this weekend I I think very much for the rest of us that 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 Max has proved once and for all he is legit he's a, the a world champion in waiting we've said for the last couple of years he just needs the car obviously he has the car so whether or not he can pull it off in you know at the, however many races we have left before the end of the year, but it was it was. I'm going to lead into no a, an NBA it. analogy. I don't know if this is going to work, but I, I kind of see sometimes Lewis as being Magic Johnson. Obviously, Magic Johnson enters the NBA. He storms right through to the finals, scores a championship with the Lakers in his first season. He has a phenomenal run. Mm-hmm. They run off five chips over the course of the decade. Lewis was very similar in the sense that he enters the sport in 2007. He misses the championship in his rookie year by a single point. The next year, 08, scores a championship. But then he goes through a five-year dry spell where there's chaos and friction at Mercedes. He makes the tra- or at uh, McLaren, he makes the transition over to Mercedes. He was was hugely and greatly criticized for doing that but ultimately he scores a championship there in his second year but there is that five-year gap the way that i see max's career playing out a little bit is is a little bit more like michael jordan and, and i think you would be you would be foolish to try to argue that he's probably not the greatest of all time from an nba perspective but bear with me because i think the point being that michael jordan was drafted in 1986 by the chicago bulls for years Mm -hmm. and years and years he and that team could not get past the detroit pistons they just kept running up against isaiah thomas and that team and when they finally when they were yeah, at when their they peak, were at the peak, right? when the bad boy Pistons were at their peak, and of course the Pistons won the title in 89, 90. In 91, they finally break through, and then it's just a torrent of championships. And I think that mm-hmm. it's a little bit like that for Max in the sense that he just happened to enter the sport in the midst of the Mercedes domination that period of domination and maybe it's maybe it's kind of fading away hamilton's a little bit older red bulls continue to develop their technology they brought in an engine supplier that's been a really great marriage but i feel like potentially he's on the cusp of that same kind of breakthrough and again the 2022 regs might level the playing field in a way that we maybe don't expect but what we do know is regardless of what the arrow looks like next year they have a phenomenal power unit which is something that they can build that car around Mm-hmm. Plus a car that's uh, designed or headed up uh, by a team that's uh, run by Adrian Great Dewey, whose record Great in Formula call. One 
is uh, is is right up there with all the other greats. And I mean, you put them up against the the, the team that they have at Mercedes is just absolutely um, you know, uh, amazing. And there was something kind of rattling around in my head as you were talking there. But, oh, I know what it was. You're just talking about Lewis, how you know he he wins that championship at 08. And he has those five seasons where it kind of um, you know, I mean, and this was when McLaren were at their peak of just right. turmoil right. Oh and just it was just. You know, it was just, uh, I mean, before we even get into like the really dark days when they, you know, they were just down at the bottom of Formula One, but the pre-Zach Brown era that we're in right now. But I mean, of course, this will be one of these things we can talk about after Lewis retires from Formula One, whenever that is in the future. But could you imagine that when Lewis made that switch to Mercedes and and I mean, of course, this will be a fun one to to, to have, Love of course, it. when he retires, and hopefully. But could you imagine he hadn't gone to Mercedes at that time? Said he went to a Ferrari, and that whole run of championships with Mercedes would never have happened. I mean, this is of course like a completely bizarre parallel Lewis universe, but he could have been that guy that won that one championship, you know, when he was a young driver, and he could have been that guy that we talked about had great potential, but only had that one car, very much a Fernando right. Alonso, right? He yeah. runs off those two championships in 05 and 06 and then just was not able to to get the car ever since but i mean lewis obviously a a very different story and of course like i say we'll have to see where he goes over the next uh, couple of years before he hangs up the the helmet and gloves and uh, of course uh, max verstappen anyways let's take a quick break when we come back i just want to put this one uh, out there for a second to let this one just marinate uh, in your mind mr hamilton is that uh, mercedes um, they're they're eating a little bit of humble pie saying that they got their strategy and tactics wrong at the Dutch Grand Prix. Anyways, time for a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment, so please don't go away. All right, welcome back to the podcast. As always, up to speed with Formula One, Mr. Mark Daly and Mr. Mark Hamilton recapping a fairly uneventful, but still a very important race in terms of the championship. I've got an interesting uh, comment here. Well, two of them in the live chat. First comes from Michelle G. She says, uh, do they set off the fireworks if Max doesn't win? Probably if it was anybody else other than Lewis Hamilton, which I think Lewis got uh, a, a very good um response it was from a good the Dutch reception. fans. It, I mean, it was, it was it, better. Yeah. Than I, think I mean, I was expected. wondering if exactly. I thought maybe he might when get the, the king boot. I thought has it was to kind address the crowd though and ask you could. Yeah. No, sorry. Go ahead. Say, go ahead. King, I, and by the way, I did. And, and shame on me, despite my political science degree, the fact that I've lived all over Western Europe, I did not know the Netherlands had a king and queen, but I thought it was very cool to see them in the garage with a uh, Max. <laughs> it was very cool. The old funny story, one of my best friends in Holland was uh, an American fellow by the name of uh, Dave. Anyways, uh, one time uh, where, where we were living, there was like a big uh, festival every summer. Anyways, uh, Dave was walking around, around one day. He just, you know, and just he got behind the wrong part of a cordon when it was going up. And then all of a sudden he found himself face to face with the queen wow. of the netherlands and what do you do if you're a down to earth you know heck Selfie. of a nice guy from R- rally north carolina what do you do when you come face to face with the queen of the netherlands he smiled at her put out his hand and said good afternoon ma'am my name is dave i love it that's a great story anyways i wanted to go back and just talk about um, what i just uh, hinted at before the break here and Obviously, Mercedes has been so strong, not just with their drivers, but with their tactics and with their car and everything. And and Red Bull, of course, have been very, very good with their tactics and strategies over the year, although they always they, they never have always had the car to consistently win races. And this year has been a little bit dead different. But I think if we the season ended today, I think more or less if we were saying who had the tactics, who had their strategy better right. over the, the the course of 2021, I would give the slight edge uh, to, to to Red Bull and uh, Mercedes. I mean, they're just coming out and saying that they they just didn't get it right when it came to the, you know to their tactics uh, today. Total Wolf uh, told uh, Sky Sports, uh, he said, quotes, uh, we had, I think, a sniff of an undercut there, but we didn't time it right. I mean, at the end, you're always more clever. We didn't expect Red Bull to go on the hard tire because it was an unknown we didn't drive the hard tire on friday and we thought we might be pushing them early with the soft but it is what it is end quote what do you think what do you make of that yeah i I appreciate the humility i i think that this was obviously short of a, a flurry of 
safety cars or a Max Era, which I think was always going to be very unlikely. I think the strategy was probably what they had on the whiteboard in the dressing room before the race that, look, we have, we have an opportunity to jump. We don't necessarily know what Red Bull pace is going to look like, but obviously, ideally, you get a jump from the, from the jump and you get past Max in the first or second corner, and then you just continue to build on that lead. And hopefully you keep Bottas behind Max to continue to harass and harass and harass him and, and function as a, as a distraction immediately before the end of the first lap, by the second lap, by the third lap, it was clear that Red Bull had remarkable pace, or at least Max had remarkable pace, and they were never going to put themselves in a position where they were going to be able to pass them. So strategy ultimately was going to be the tool that they used. And obviously the the uh, the strategy didn't work out. And I, I think kind of as a, a backup or a secondary opportunity, you had a position where when Max was carving back through the field, there was a moment where Bottas could potentially have functioned to back him up and give Lewis the opportunity to get back into the race. But ultimately, once again, and this is something I've been super critical of Bottas about, is that whenever he's been asked to do that, to back up a competitor, to give Lewis the opportunity to get racy, he's failed to do so. And if you look at this today, Mm -hmm. how many corners was Max behind Bottas? And of course, Bottas was on on inferior tires, but how many corners was he behind him? Two before Max was able to just storm by. And of course, he, he, he had better pace. He had a better engine. He had better tires. But I would have expected more. I would have demanded more out of Bottas in terms of backing up Max. But I like the I like the humility here. And one of the things I took note of as well is that in the media pen after the race, they were talking to Lewis, and Lewis gave they gave Red Bull all the credit in the world. Their pace was phenomenal. They were extremely fast. They had everything dialed in. Um, and I think from this, you just pack up and move on. And obviously, there's some tracks that are coming up that should that should prove more fruitful to Mercedes in terms of the way that they build and design their car. But we'll see because you know when we flash back to the summer break, I kept saying that the driver who wins two of the first three races after the championship is probably going to win the, or after the summer break is going to win the championship. And Max has done exactly that. So I don't necessarily know what's going to happen in Imola or in Monza a week from now, that's going to change the direction of this Mm -hmm. championship. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, I think we might even have to extend that race based on the farce that we saw in Belgium right. last weekend. What were the right. half points and all that, uh, that, that stuff? But yeah, it truly was remarkable how the, 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 the Red Bull, especially Bax's car looked like it was on rails. And I thought it was interesting too. And sometimes I always take Lewis's comments on race radio with a little bit of pinch of salt because sometimes I don't know how, you know, you know, accurate they are because sometimes I wonder if it's a little bit of psychological warfare on the part of uh, Lewis and Mercedes just uh, to kind of uh, maybe try and misdirect uh, to what the true situation is. But I thought it was interesting after five laps, the way that Max is already a couple of seconds uh, ahead of Lewis and right. uh, Lewis is, um, you know, he says, you know, these tires aren't going to hold up under this pace. And it was interesting too, because it just, um, maybe this is uh, just me, maybe looking for something that maybe isn't necessarily there, but it, it seemed like there was maybe just a note of, I wouldn't say exasperation, but maybe a note of concern in Lewis's voice that maybe, yeah, you know, it's, it's just not going to work out for us. Uh, to Did you, today. did you, by the way, and this is a great point to, or great time to transition to this, but did you pick up on that, sure. that comment that Max had made over team radio towards the end of the race? He'd made a note when the gap had extended to about 3.8, 3.9 seconds. He'd made a comment over the radio to the Red Bull team staff saying, is he referring to Lewis complaining about something or what? And inferring that Lewis was probably <laughs> behind him because I think he was beginning to see that gap increase, but was inferring that right. Hamilton was probably complaining about tires, which is he is what he was notorious for, for doing. But I think you're right. I think Lewis was pretty much resigned early on that if he was going to win this race, it wasn't going to be from raw pace. You know, and uh, another interesting thing is, oh, before I get onto that, I just wanted to read out, um, I, I think this is an interesting one. This is from Charlie ah, Tinkler in the, welcome, the YouTube uh, live stream. Anyways, 
Charlie has to say, uh, where do they get the data for these ridiculous tire performance infographs? I can't understand how they continue to use this and how it's never being close to correct. That and that uh, that other one, like the overtaking infographic. I mean, it it seems yeah that that that's grossly off base as well. None of them seem to you know measure up no, close to reality in the, in I the slightest. Agree. One, I've been campaigning that they should remove those infographics from the screen since they were introduced. And either was it nineteen now, nineteen or twenty? It's the uh, they've been it's, out a couple it's, of it's years. It's a disservice and it's disinformation to fans because it's purely simulations and models. And I, I'm very curious to mm-hmm. who's creating that data. Is it Sky? Is it the TV networks? Or is it the FIA and Formula One and the teams? Are they compiling data points to come up with that information? Because the other thing is, if I'm a team and I know what the what the durability or the longevity of my tires are, that's very important data that I don't necessarily want my rivals to know. So my sense is that it's probably data that's being simulated and created by the network, but I'm going to take this one away and get to the bottom of it because I think that's a really great question. Yeah, you know, they, they should get the folks from Codemasters in on that because, uh, you know, the, the tire <laughs> infographics that they have in the F1 video game seem to be yeah, a little agreed. bit more accurate than this. But I, I, I'm totally on board with what Charlie's saying. Anyways, this one I think is uh, kind of interesting. I just wanted to throw this one at you. Valtteri Bottas briefly nabs the fastest lap of the race in the single point uh, despite being told by, uh, uh, you know, over race radio to back off and, uh, you know, just basically abort after sitting two purple sets. Obviously, they wanted Lewis to get that uh, single point. I don't know how much Valtteri ba- backed off in sector three, but uh, you know, I kind of felt that when he still set the, the the fastest lap of the race, I couldn't help feeling like that was Valtteri maybe kind of flipping Mercedes the bird a little bit, you know, kind of like yeah. the, you know, the Top Gun, uh, you know, uh, this is yeah. Ghost Rider requesting permission for a flyby at, you know, and the whole spilling the coffee thing, you know, if for those of you who love Top Gun. But anyways, I couldn't help but think that was a little bit of, um, you know, voluntary kind of, um, you know, making Agreed. a bit of a statement to a Mercedes. Yeah. I've got nothing to add on that one at all. And it was, it was interesting too. Oh, come well, on. I, I was expecting okay, a bit of okay, a hot a, take A there. little bit of a hot take then. So, <laughs> I think you're right. I think there was some frustration there. And it's funny because his radio messages are usually pretty short. They're pretty brief. Copy, copy, copy. But in my head, he's saying F you, F you, F you, F you. Because obviously, I think he felt he was brought in to pit to get fresh tires in an effort to go after that fastest lap. And I think ultimately, that wasn't why he was brought in. He was brought in so that he could ultimately function as a block on Perez to make sure that Perez couldn't chase down that fastest lap point and steal that away from Hamilton. Because I think the team, Mercedes especially, recognizes that every point in the championship matters. And with the strategy that Max was on, he was never going to be able to chase that. And I think it was important, obviously, for Mercedes to make sure that Sergio didn't get it, but even more important that if they were going to score that fastest lap point, it had to go to Hamilton because he's going to need every point he can get in this uh, this championship. You know, I've really come around to, to this whole, uh, you know, single point for the fastest lap. You know, I, I know that, we made some comments uh, earlier in the season, which uh, we I wouldn't say we got put on blast for, but certainly we got called out by some of the people, which is fair enough. I know totally respect their opinions, but, you know, we weren't really too warm on it. But uh, especially as times goes on, it, it certainly adds an interesting, an interesting dynamic Agreed. because uh, Bottas, I mean. Bottas's fastest lap was obviously it was also a, a a race or sorry a, a track record. He set it on lap sixty nine. It was a one twelve point five. Then Lewis on the final lap blows it out of the water by one point five seconds almost. Uh, Lewis setting a time of one eleven point one. And Max's fastest lap, Max at the fastest lap on uh, on uh, on lap sixty, and mind you, this is on the hard tires. Max's fastest uh, fastest lap was a one thirteen point two. So Lewis was basically, you know, you know, two seconds uh, faster than, than than Max. I mean, that is uh, amazing. And even Perez, he his fastest uh, lap was set on lap fifty nine. His was a one thirteen point four five. So you know, quite a big uh, difference there. But yeah, certainly, I mean, it it is an interesting interesting twist to, to the championship and again it just shows that how serious these two teams are considering this uh, this championship and how it really could go down to the wire and very much like we don't know what's going on we're going to Monza next week then we're going to Russia we're going to Turkey we're going to the USA we're maybe going to Mexico we're maybe going to Brazil 
then Saudi, and then Abu Dhabi. Sounds like we're going to go to Qatar before right. Saudi. You know, th- there's a lot of moving parts in this this back end of the schedule. And I think that the teams recognize this as, as much as they recognize that this is going to be probably a pretty tight championship that who knows, we might still lose a race here. We, we've seen Japan go. We've seen other races go this year. And uh, I think this is com- you know, coming to the point that very much in this bizarre pandemic world that we live in, that, um, you know, in, in Formula One terms, that uh, at any rate, that the, these teams and these drivers realize we, we have to maximize the amount of points we're taking Absolutely. on the track each and every weekend because who knows, we drop a race, we have a bad Such weekend. A point. You know, that might be our Absolutely. season, right? And I reflected back earlier today on some of the things that we've already seen this year. I think we talked after those race weekends about the fact that we don't know what the rest of the championship is going to look like. We don't know that if we're going to see a 23 race calendar, I flash back obviously to Baku because I think that was a big one. And ultimately we talk about how tight the championship is, but because of a, a tire failure, Max left that race with no points and ultimately had Lewis been able to get a great start from that safety car and not uh, not initiate this unforced error that saw him fall out of the points. The the championship could be could be very very different. But I I think the point being that any mistakes from this point onwards could swing the championship irre- irre- irreversibly one way or the other. And I think what I'm really seeing out of both Lewis and Max right now, and I, I know I touched on this a little bit earlier, is especially in the case of Max, is he just seems so focused so dialed in he's not making any mistakes and i know this sounds super cliche but he seems like a max and Mm -hmm. likewise lewis looks exceptional as well but the two of them are in a completely different class and again i talked about this earlier when you look at the drivers that are driving almost identical machinery Bottas and sergio they're in a whole different championship they're in a different class than we're seeing from from lewis and max verstappen at this point you know, just to to maybe just to build on uh, what you were just saying here about the, you know, we, we don't know how many races we have left. And there there is, I wouldn't say desperation, but certainly a focus from everybody involved to just, you know, try and bring home as many points as you can is I would really hate for the championship to be decided for Lewis or decided Agreed. for Max just because we, we lose, Agreed. you know, I... And, and I mean, obviously, public health and public safety has to be the most important factor in any of this, but I would hate for it to, to come down because, you know, you, you still had to win as many races as you needed to to beat your opponents, but it would have, I, I don't want to say a, an, an artificial fa- you know, feel to that championship, but it would certainly feel like it would... Um, it took something away from the season. I certainly hope it doesn't come Just down to Just to that. add something as well. Lewis has won one of the last nine races. That's the worst. And that's not a bad stretch because he's scored a ton of podiums, but that's the longest stretch with a sole Grand Prix victory since his McLaren days at the very, very, very end. That's amazing. That That is an amazing stat considering what Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton have become notorious for <laughs> over the past, uh, almost the, basically the last decade, right? Anyways, Mark, uh, I, I think as we come, you know, come to close to closing it up and turning off the lights on another show and another race recap, you know, th- this is maybe a little bit cheeky on, um, on my behalf, but watching uh, qualifying uh, on Saturday afternoon, watching the two Williams cars, was, was it very much a, a, a situation of uh, Nick looking at what uh, George did and saying, anything you can do, I can do better? And I thought it was so unfortunate for both of those right. Williams drivers. I know that George still qualified 11th, but... Both of them were looking good to have a very, very solid qualifying. They George were both looked in like Q2. he was going to get into Q3. Yeah. They, were, they were looking really, really good. And I'm being cynical. I'm being silly about it. But, um, you know, joking uh, you know, aside, I was disappointed because I have a soft spot for Williams. They were the team. When uh, you know when, when we were growing up uh, back in the day, and it was looking good for them, and it was it was just a real shame. But uh, you know, it just goes to show you that uh, you put a tire wrong, and it didn't have to be uh, by much. And uh, Nick putting it off, and I mean George was lucky he didn't damage his car. Nick obviously getting more damage on the car, but certainly spoiled what was looking to be a very very promising afternoon for both Mercedes and or sorry uh, Williams, pardon me. In the uh, yeah, I'm glad qualifying. you brought that up because I had a couple of other bullet points to hit on here real quick. One of them was 
Williams this weekend. To your point, they were really looking to build on a couple of tremendous weekends. We obviously talked about that Hungary was something of a breakthrough for that team, and they were they were able to build on that in Belgium. For both of those cars to break into Q2, to me, it's a reflection that both of them are developing. I think Latifi's seen some real yeah. growth in the second half of the season, but I think it also demonstrates something that we've talked about a lot, which is the cars continuing to evolve. And this isn't the same, this isn't the same dog that they were taking to every Grand Prix weekend back in 2019. But a couple of other quick points here as well. You touched on this right off the start. Gasly quietly continuing to put together an absolutely fantastic season. When his contract is up eventually, I think this is a guy who is going to chase or fetch a serious bag from another team if Red Bull don't find the means to secure him. Obviously, we talked or we maybe didn't talk, but Kimi Raikkonen makes the announcement last week that he's retiring. Unfortunately, he tests mm-hmm. positive for COVID. He is double vaccinated, so he should be okay. He's not showing any signs of symptoms, but he did test positive. So he is hiding out in his hotel room, which gave Kibitza the opportunity to sit in a Formula One car for a Grand Prix for the first time this year. I was a little bit heartbroken as a Latifi fan that he managed to get past Latifi in the final lap of the race. And then I think my only other comment, although good job, Kibitza, I think obviously that he's had a very interesting career. But I think the other major point for me as well is the weekend was a disaster for Aston Martin. Lance Stroll qualifies 12th, finishes 12th, doesn't look racy, wasn't taking risks. Vettel has a has a mechanical failure, an engine failure during practice. The car's on fire. He himself is is saddled or responsible for putting out the fire. It was just a messy, messy weekend for Aston Martin. I think this is quickly becoming a season that they want to put behind them. They've become a very, very frustrating team to watch. I know that you and I were very, very, you know, bullish on them, you know, before the start of the season, that this was a team we really wanted to see do well, obviously, with the Canadian connection involved there, both uh, on and off the track. But yeah, they've become a very, very frustrating team to watch uh, over this year. And I, I I hope that they really get it to sort it out. And obviously, Lauren Stroll is going to hope they'll be wanting to see that as well, considering the, the, the vast amount of uh, money that, uh, that he's invested. But, you know, certainly from that point of view, it maybe is kind of still early in that uh, that project i mean it might uh, take a little bit of time off the track i mean they're still going to be going into that new facility of theirs so it still might uh, take a little bit of time to uh, you know before it starts to bear fruit let's put it that way and you know let's just uh, maybe just uh, mention again uh, robert uh, kubitza decent weekend for a guy that wasn't expecting to get into the car and uh, it was interesting too i was reading some comments uh, from uh, kubitza himself that when he saw the phone call coming from from the team he thought he was the one that had tested positive <laughs> oh, the for, for COVID. So, you know, yeah, you know, so he he was, uh, you know, it, I mean, he was obviously, you know, pleased in one regard, one aspect to to be able to actually uh, drive, but it wasn't actually the phone call that uh, he was expecting. Oh, so goodness. life sometimes throws curveballs at you and, um, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, Kimmy turns out uh, okay. Hopefully he'll be in the car next weekend. But I, I hope so. And knows, for all I those guess. fans in Italy, because obviously he won a championship with Ferrari. He was a big part of that team over the past 10 15 years yep. i hope he gets the opportunity to race next next week so he gets that send off that he Me deserves too. i'm just on that point of ferrari yep. as well i i don't know that this was necessarily a hot take but i was pretty convinced that ferrari was going to start putting a, a gap between them and uh, mclaren as the second half of the season progressed and that's exactly what we're seeing they're 11 and a half points up and then Finally, just talking about that Ferrari ecosystem, disaster of a weekend for Haas. Uh, The two drivers sparring in public, a a terrible, terrible look for that team. And I I think as a a lot of fans do believe Mick needs to get out of that situation. It's not a great place from a, a logistical perspective, from an infrastructure perspective, from a car perspective. I just, I don't trust that team in terms of nurturing him from a development perspective. But the challenge is where does Ferrari put him ultimately? Because it seems like they've got a great lineup with the core Scuderia right now. Yeah, who knows? Do you uh, put him in as a reserve driver? But then again, I mean, a guy as young as Mick Schumacher yeah. is and the potential talent that yeah. he has, I mean, sure, you get him out of that seat at Haas, but Ex- then he's exactly, not getting race exactly. miles. Reps in know, a bad team and that's what he needs. surrounded by bad resources is probably better than no reps at all. Yeah, I know, right? It's it's a tough call and, you know, 
yeah, not easy for 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 Mick. Anyways, I think uh, oh one one thing I want to mention before we signed off, going to Monza next weekend, going to be very interesting. That that's obviously a track that is basically flat out most of the way around. I'm really going to be interested who's going to have the advantage there. Is it going to be Red Bull? Is it going to be uh, Mercedes? And depending on which car it is, how much is that advantage uh, going to be? I mean, it's it's going to be fun to watch. I mean, Monza is one of the classics. It is a power circuit. There are not uh, too many corners. We have that uh, very sharp chicane. And then you have the Lesbos, which are kind of fun to watch. And of course, uh, Parabolica is one of the all-time great corners to watch well maybe not if you're Charles Leclerc in 2020 I mean that big uh, crash there but uh, really really great track uh, to watch and again like um, very much like Zanfort uh, today old school very narrow I thought it was very interesting to see like a Zanfort just you know I mean it's basically what about two and a half car widths was uh, the, the width of the track and I, I love some of the comments that you made on I can't remember it was on the podcast or was yeah, on somewhere. social media just a real, uh, yeah, somewhere. It was a real organic and natural yeah. feel and very much that some of these modern tracks that we see that some of them have their own, they're, they're, I guess, charm and worth cliche, to them. But cookie they cutter, feel cookie over de- Yeah, and they, they feel right. over-designed at uh, times. And that's why that I'm not ready to um, to write off Monza, sorry, not Monza, I pardon agree. me, Zonport. I, I think that we have to just park it for a year, see what it's like in the new cars before we really you know, render a, a passage. And one on final point before we sign off, we're going into Monza. We're going into the Italian Grand Prix. And just in time, we have a special guest joining us this Thursday, which I'm excited to promo. Vincenzo Landino of the Landino Group will be joining us. We'll be talking all things sports, marketing, branding, NFT, and all kinds of modern concepts that I certainly don't understand, but I'm sure he's going to be able to help clarify for both the <laughs> and each of our audience. Plus, being Italian, he will give us a, a real, I think, a, an insight on what it is, what what Ferrari means Absolutely. to Italy, and and just the, the the passion behind it. I mean, Monza is one of the the. the I mean, as good as the atmosphere was in in Holland today, I think that uh, that Monza still sets the gold standard as far as you know that that passion, that that atmosphere, so and it's always great to see, especially at the uh, at the podium celebration don't know what's going to be like in terms of uh, fans in the stands i mean obviously it can't be any worse than last year when it was basically friends and family but we'll see we'll see uh, next monday sorry next monday next sunday pardon me anyways mark that's all i've got for tonight i i think that uh, unless you got something else we'll we'll wrap it up here and guys thank you so very much for uh, listening to the show for watching on youtube it looks like uh, the the chat's going on uh, pretty good there i don't uh, apologetic didn't get a chance to address most of those anyways uh, as mark said we'll be back on thursday night with vincenzo until then get in touch by all means scooteryf one pod at gmail.com on twitter at scooteryf one pod enjoy the rest of the long weekend enjoy your week we'll talk to you guys again very very soon and bye for now <laughs>